Uh, good morning, everybody. I've got folks with me from the Department of Labor, which means we'll be looking at this month's edition of Alaska Economic Trends. In the first part, we'll be talking with economist Rob Krieger regarding Gunnar Schultz's insightful article about Alaska's residential rental landscape. Good morning, Rob. Morning, Kevin. Thanks for having us. Give us a brief overview, Rob. What was Gunnar's scope? So, kind of give you a little overview of the survey in general. So, since probably like the early 90s, we've been doing this cooperative project with um, Alaska Housing Finance Corporation, where we survey landlords in certain communities around Alaska and try to gauge rental, fair market rental costs um, and vacancy rates um, in certain places, as well as like utility, get a sense of utilities being included and other characteristics of rental units in Alaska. Um, this year, we saw pretty much what had, you know, there's a lot of people out there saying that rents are so high, vacancy rates are so low, it's hard to find a place. And I think the kind of the big takeaway from this year's survey was that yes, rents are up, vacancy rates are down. Um, the reasons driving that there's no one specific thing, but there's a likely group of factors kind of contributing to those higher rents and lower vacancy rates. Yeah, could you take us through some of those factors? What I understand one of them relates to home sales. Right, so I think um, in general, we think that low vacancy rates are kind of driving the higher rents. And the factors that we kind of think are kind of making their way into the market have to do with that sort of normal churn that happens with within the rental market. Um, kind of that flow of certain, you know, vacant units becoming available, people moving, more people moving in, that sort of churn. Mm -hmm. And I think the factors that we're seeing are kind of like throttling back on that normal churn cycle. For example, yeah, you mentioned home prices. So we know that home prices are kind of at record high levels. We know that inventory is low. Um, interest rates are still fairly low, though probably gonna have a pretty big jump here pretty soon, but interest rates are still low. Things are still affordable, but there's just not a lot out there. So even for people who have the financial means to buy a house right now, really want one, um, chances are they're just not able to find something. They're renting, they're gonna be renting for longer now. And that's gonna kind of have a, an impact on the number of units that become available. And then there's also this federal assistance, namely the COVID uh, rental moratoriums and items like that. How did that come into play here? Right. So most of those federal assistance programs, whether it's moratoriums on evictions or um, you know higher unemployment checks, things like that, those are all pretty much out of the equation at this point. But there is still a lot of rental assistance available for people who need it. And that, I think, has also helped to stem the number of evictions. Um, we don't know for sure what you know how you know to what level evictions contribute to vacancies but they do play a role and um i think that that rental assistance has probably helped to kind of like stem the the number of evictions that we'd normally see so with your data from the alaska housing finance corporation which they understand which i understand they survey landlords to get this data what did the results find by city when it comes to rental costs? Probably the big takeaway, and I should clarify, AHFC, it's a joint project, they fund it, we actually do the, we conduct the survey, oh. um, and we send it out and, and collect the data and report on the data. Um, but it's been a joint project for you know 30 years. Um, but going back city, I think probably, the you know we saw in the larger communities of Anchorage, Fairbanks, um, and Matsu, um, rents going up and vacancy rates coming down probably the most notably, but Anchorage in particular was a, was a standout because rates, I mean, I'm sorry, rents were up about 14%, which is a, a record high for that area. Now, 
it's written that that number could be higher, though, right? Because that's just the asking price. Well, we think that that 14% is an upper bound, um, and it's a little technical in how we survey Anchorage. Um, you know, like I said, we survey landlords as opposed to tenants. So the response burden for a landlord with you know one mother-in-law apartment is quite different than somewhere in Anchorage where some of the landlords literally have hundreds or thousands of units. So in the cases of those large apartment complexes, um, we tend to get uh, printouts of the actual asking rents for certain types of bedroom sizes versus a listing of what the actual tenant is paying, which may be you know, under a lease agreement. So normally the asking rent and what the, the rent or what the tenant is paying in an occupied unit, the difference is usually very small. But this year in Anchorage, the asking rents jumped significantly. Um, and that's actually, I mean, it, it's not unusual considering what else is happening in the lower 48. Nationally, asking rents were up significantly as well. Not 14%, but I think clo- it's closer to like 10. Oh, in the lower 48? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned the other communities as well, Fairbanks, Matsu. Uh, what, what was the findings there? Fairbanks is always interesting um, because of its transient population. Um, you have university students coming and going, but m- more importantly, the military. Um, and historically, Fairbanks, the vacancy rate in Fairbanks can, can fluctuate depending on what's happening with troop movements. Um, and it has been quite high historically. Um, over so Probably since 2020, though, we started to see the rate come down a lot as sort of the, the gear up for the F-35s started to happen. Um, so Fairbanks is at a level that is quite low for the area. Still not, it's still higher than the than I guess the average for all surveyed units combined, but it, it's dropped significantly since say 2020 when it was closer to even 18%. It's down to about um, seven or 6% now. And what was, what was the findings for the Southeast communities you had surveyed? Southeast is, you know, there was nothing really that stood out too much Southeast. I think Sitka came in at the most expensive rent at about thirteen fifty a month, and that's not unusual for Sitka. Juneau is more like in the middle of the pack this year, both rental-wise, price-wise, and vacancy rates. Um, I think prices increased about 1.2% in Juneau with vacancy rates slightly below that for this survey at around 3.6%. So nothing really much happening, Juno. pretty much status quo, I would say, over the previous year. Ketchikan was a little odd in that um, vacancy rates still continued to drop, and I think rents actually came down a little bit too. I'm not exactly sure the, the explanation for that, though. Ketchikan, because it's a smaller community, um, sometimes we get some noise in the sample. And, and But we're just comparing this to last year, right? Correct. These, these rental prices. Yes, this is just year-over-year comparison. Mm. Um, we do have, I think the article t- kind of talks more in detail about how some of these areas have kind of fared over long term, but in general, year over year, that's kind of what we're seeing. Now, it was measured that rental affordability is based on the average monthly wage needed to cover rent, right? So mm-hmm. spending no more than 30% of their gross income on housing costs. Given that measurement, how affordable is rent according to your data? Right. So the, 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 the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development kind of determines that magical 30% number. And they say if you're spending more than 30% of your monthly income on rent, then it's not affordable. Um, and in the case of what we saw in the survey, um, it's probably, you know, the, kind of the, the more important takeaway versus, like, look at the actual numbers. Um, 
Sitka, for example, had a, a, a rate of about 31%, meaning that people are paying more than 30% of their income on rent. Um, does that mean that everybody in Sitka is paying more of that? No, but that really just tells you that Sitka is more expensive than other places. Anchorage is interesting because it's, um, even though that rents there among the highest in the survey, wages are also higher there. So when you look at the percentage that people on average spend on their income, spend on their rent, it ends up being about 25%, which is relatively affordable compared to other places. I see. So that pendulum can come back the other way too then. It sure could, yeah, depending on what wages are doing. Mm, I see. What might impact affordability in the near term, would you say? I think, well, wages for one will definitely, you know, they've been rising. Um, and um, for rental affordability, it's, it'll be interesting to see how much, you know, if we continue to see increases in rent and we don't see those increases matching in wages, then yeah, that's going to weigh on affordability. Very good. Is there anything you'd like to add, Rob? I think that probably, um, you know, we had talked about in the article about the issue of short-term rentals and the impact that it might have mm -hmm. on the broader rental market. Um, and we are still in the process of trying to get a handle on that. We have mentioned in the article a little bit of data that we found. There's really not much other than to say that the number of short-term rental listings has increased significantly over the past couple of years. But to the extent that this is, you know, to, to what this is, ha what impact this is having on the community, it's tough to say. And uh, I think it's going to be more of a hot topic as we go along. I see. But you, so you'll need more data on that then? We definitely will. But I suspect there will be a lot coming out because it's starting to get more attention and, you know, the potential um, for tax revenue for, for various communities, I think it's going to start to kind of drive a demand to get some more hard numbers around it. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us this morning, Rob. We'll have even more after the break. Thank you. And we're back with more folks from the Department of Labor talking about the September edition of their Alaska Economic Trends. You can find a copy online. We are talking with we are talking population trends. I've got demographers David Howell and Eric Sandberg here. Good morning, you two. Good morning. Good morning. Howell is here to share more about his article projecting population in the state going as far as 50 years. David, why look that far ahead? Well, we're actually going out about 30 years. It's to 2050. Um, but so what we try to do with these projections is we take the long-term averages and then use them to project the population out. So on a year-to-year -year basis, they might not be you know, the most accurate because we know that migration trends go up and down, births and deaths can go up and down. But in the long term, you know, it's what the population would look like if these trends were to continue. So it gives us a good idea for planning purposes and that sort of thing, um, what the people can expect going forward. Well, my apologies, first of all. It, oh, no. I, <laughs> it's kind of tough to imagine 2000s was 20 years ago. Yes. <laughs> so from now to 2050, what might Alaska see in its population numbers? So based on our long-term averages, we're projecting out that the population will grow by about 25,000 people between now and 2050. This is much less gross than we've seen in the past. Uh, the previous... 29 years in Alaska, we saw about 147,000 people added. So much less projected growth than in the past. And this is kind of related to a combination of factors. Uh, you know, the last decade, we started seeing negative net migration. And that just kind of has had a big impact on the long-term rates because we've had about 10 years of negative net migration um, steadily that's just really brought down that net migration rate. Mm. 
tell us about our state's current fertility rate and how that may impact population. Yeah, so Alaska, we still have one of the highest fertility rates of any state in the nation, but it has been declining steadily since about 2015. Um, demographics, we use what's referred to as the total fertility rate to define fertility. And what this is, is it's the number of births a woman would have in her lifetime at today's rates. And so in the U.S., we need a TFR or total fertility rate of 2.1 to replace the existing population. Anything above that, we grow. Anything below that, we start to lose population. So in the early 2010s, Alaska was around 2.3 total fertility rate, which led to a lot of growth. This, this kind of declined down to about 2.2 in 2015, and now we're down to 1.9 in the most recent, uh, most recent calculations. So not enough, there's not enough kids being born at this point to replace the existing um, population in the state. Hmm. And you, you had explained that there's a generational shift going on between the baby boomers and the millennials with in regards to death and fertility. Could you share that with us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so births and deaths are very related to the age structure of a population. And so right now we have this big millennials age group that was born uh, between 1981 and 1996. So your oldest, uh, oldest in this group are now entering their 40s. Youngest are kind of in their mid-20s still. But they're largely exiting out of the uh, highest fertility ages, which occur in the low 20s through about mid-30s. Um, or when most births occur. And so as the millennials age out of this group, we will see births decline no matter what happens to rates. And that's because the group now graduating from high school, coming into these higher fertility age groups, are the children of the Generation X, which is a much smaller generation than the baby boomers, uh, who the millennials are largely, largely children of. And then let's take it over to the baby boomers. What's happening with them? So, yes, so they are continuing to age uh, in place. A lot of people moved here in the 80s and 90s, as we know, and they've just stayed in the state um, working, uh, you know, throughout their careers and now have retired in the state. And so your oldest baby boomers are now reaching about their mid-70s. Youngest baby boomers will be turning 65 in the next few years. And so as this occurs, they will be reaching higher mortality age groups. And in the past, Alaska just hasn't had many people at these higher mortality ages. So as the baby boomers continue to hit these ages, we will see deaths go up, not because, you know, mortality is increasing, but just that, you know, more people at these older ages. So with more deaths and less births, what could that mean for the state's rate of natural increase? Right. And so natural increase is just births minus deaths. And so Alaska, we've always had more births and deaths, and this has been a steady source of population growth for us over time. But as we go forward, we will see this decline pretty steadily um, going out to 2050. Uh, right now, we're seeing a little over 4,000 people gain through natural increase in the state of Alaska, and this declines to about 1,300 a year by 2050. So going down quite considerably uh, towards the end of the projected period. And what could this mean for Alaska's age groups then? In general, we will see them get smaller. So the zero to 19 year old population, kind of your school aged kids, mm. uh, we see that group decline by about 6%, I believe, across the projected period. And this is just because fertility rates are down and this has led to less children being born that are aging out of that age group uh, on an annual basis. 
Then we have our working age population, the 20 to 64 year olds. And so this group has been on the decline for some time and that is largely due to just the baby boomers aging out of the age group and less people aging in than are aging out. Uh, there is some you know, migration tied into that in recent years as we've seen less people moving to the state in general. Alaska normally gains population at the working ages, but with less people moving in, we're just not getting that growth that we've seen in the past. And you dived into the regions for Alaska. I think for the sake of time, we'll just focus on Southeast right now. What did you find? So Southeast is kind of a standout and not necessarily in a good way. Uh, It is projected to lose the most population of any region. And this is tied to multiple factors, but in general, Southeast has an older population, and so there's less births occurring, uh, more people at these higher mortality age groups, and then they also have lower fertility rates than most of the state. Southeast in general has a total fertility rate of about 1.5 versus the state as a whole, but around 1.9, so quite a bit less births, but then also they tend to lose population to net migration. Now, the one standout in Southeast is Skagway, who really just totally breaks this trend completely. Um, Skagway is actually projected to grow the fastest of any borough census area in percentage terms. Matsu is by far the fastest numeric growing, but Skagway in percentage terms is projected to be the fastest growing. And this is largely due to uh, influx of net migration over the last decade. So basically, Skagway is Southeast's Matsu. You could say in, that. In a I way. I, I don't, well, sure, you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I may be reaching a little bit there, but okay. We'll say that Skagway is going to look good in the future. So, to make matters even more interesting, Eric here tells us that data from the IRS has more to say on migration and turnover in the state. Eric? Yes, uh, the IRS recently released their uh, migration data for the 2019 through 2020. So it's a bit out of date, but it takes them a little while, a little while to compile. But basically, it, they look at the people's change of address on their tax returns between what the taxes they filled out in 2019 and 2020. And basically, for Alaska, it says that Alaska still has the highest gross migration rate of any state in the nation. That means the total people moving in plus the total people moving out divided by population. So it's a measure of the amount of churn in the population through migration. And at 11%, we're still the highest in the nation. And how does that shape to other states then? Uh, Well, generally, the other states that are high are usually the states that people are moving to in large numbers. So you have your Idaho's and your Nevada's and your Arizona's where they just, their churn is all through uh, just everyone's going there. But also, there are similar states to us like Wyoming and North Dakota, which have large natural resource industries. People aren't moving there, but they still have a high gross migration rate, which shows that for some states, it's high gross migration is just a part of life, and that's for Alaska as well. But with this data now, I understand it confirms that there is a net migration loss here in the state. Yes. Yeah, I also looked at the net migration rate, which is for in that year, 2020 through 20, 2019 through 2020, it was over negative 1%, which is below David's low scenario in its projection. So it's very negative. It was the, for Alaska, the second most negative in the time period, only New York, which was probably pumped up a bit by in early 2020, the start of the pandemic mm-hmm. was worse. 
And the other states that rank low with Alaska as having a very negative net migration rate are usually the very large urban states that people are leaving. So California, Nevada, or New York, and Illinois. Mm -hmm. Well, between you two, is there anything you'd like to add about population here in the state? I guess one big takeaway, Eric mentioned that that 11% figure for gross migration is that the population doesn't turn over every 10 years. You know, we, mm. we have this churn, but it's a lot of it's, you know, last one in, first one out. So it's kind of the same people are moving both ways. We have a core group of people that stay in place, so it's not constantly, constantly turning over. Yeah, people have a tendency to add the years cumulatively and think that the whole pop 11% a year, the whole population must well, turn over in a decade. And clearly that is not the case as all of us have been here more than a decade, I'm sure. But it's a lot of people, a lot of people leaving the more recent arrivals. I see. It's not 11% of 600,000. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, thank you all for being here today. Great. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thanks, and tomorrow... Juno Senator Jesse Keel will be here, so be sure to tune into that. This is Kevin Allen for Action Line signing off. I'll leave you to Problem Corner.